The Adam Crowley Show. Maybe I decide those teats don't need milking. Oh, it's close. That was close. Maybe I decide those teats don't need milking. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. The others don't need a squeezing. The entire sports world talking about golf, but maybe not for the right reason. Phil Kessel. I keep doing that. Phil Mickelson. Well, he kind of looked like a hockey player there. Going for the one-timer. We all know what he did. The reaction has been, well, it's been extreme in some cases. It has been not extreme in other cases. We bring in Jerry Dulag now, who writes about golf for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and, of course, is the host of the golf show right here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Jerry, thank you so much for taking the time today. Adam, you're more than welcome. I'll tell you what, it is hot out today. I think you could fry an egg on that sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, I think so, Jerry. Uh, you're not golfing today, are you? Well, you know, uh, Adam, it's funny I was going to, but it got sidetracked with a little work and uh, did not. But I have uh, some let lined up later in the week, and uh, I'll get my fill in, trust me. Very good. Uh, Jerry, as far as what Mickelson did, uh, I guess we'll stay, we'll, we'll ask this question first. Did he deserve to be disqualified from the United States Open after that? Well, Adam, I, I, I think I think he could have been and and probably should have been um, because to me, while the rule allows for uh, striking a moving ball, I think there's a difference between what he did and what John Daly did a number of years ago at right. the Memorial, where you use the hockey reference, and that's exactly what he did. He stick handled the ball around the hole to the tune of 13 strokes. That was done in a fit of anger and frustration, and he just bop, 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 bop. But, but I think what Mickelson did, it was an attempt to, to obviously stop his ball and improve his chances of, of making whatever score he was going to make uh, on the whole. So to me, in the spirit of the rule, uh, that's what, to me, that's what he broke. And, you know, let me tell you, that's as surprising to me as anything I've ever seen because of who it was. You're talking about a guy who is, uh, you know, is kind of, you know, he's, he's one of the game's disciples. He's so revered. He respects the game so much. He interacts with the fans so well. I mean, he is the consummate professional golfer. And for him to do that is just so, so out of character. And that's what's made this a bigger deal because of not only who did it, but you know, when you know the type of person Phil Mickelson is. Um, but, you, you know, the other thing, too, I still don't know why he did it, because if he just lets that ball roll off the green or go wherever it was going to go, he could have, if it rolled off the green, he still could have pitched up and two-putted. Now, you're talking about a guy who arguably is the greatest short game player in the game, could have pitched up and just two-putted and still made a score better than 10. So the logic doesn't apply either where he's trying to save himself from an embarrassing score because he still would have more than likely done that anyhow. So I really don't know what he was thinking, um, despite what he's, I mean, I know what he said, but I just, I just don't understand it. And, um, but uh, yeah, I, I think he should have been uh, disqualified, but I think because of who he was, who he is, 
um, much like Tiger a couple years ago, a couple years ago at the Masters, Adam, if you recall, he took that improper drop on a 15th hole. A viewer called in, and the next day they assessed okay. him a two-shot penalty for signing a wrong scorecard. Well, he should have been, if he if he wasn't DQ'd, he should have withdrawn. And and neither happened. And I think they just assessed him a two-shot penalty the next day, which is just preposterous. And they did that because he's Tiger Woods. And I think the same holds true here. They didn't take any punitive action beyond the penalty because it was Phil Mickelson. What if Phil was in legitimate contention, Jerry? I mean, that would have had to have changed some things, right? Yeah, no question. But I think if he was in legitimate contention, he wouldn't have been frustrated to the point That's true. Of, of what, you know, to do what he did. I think the putts he was missing caused him to be 16 over par or whatever he was at the time. And uh, if he were in contention, that would have meant he would have been making some putts and he would have been a whole lot less frustrated. He would have, he'd have been, you know, he'd have been too dialed in to even think of something like that. Jerry Dulac joining us here on the Crowley Show. He, of course, the host of the Jerry Dulac Golf Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Do you like to see golfers challenge the way that they were this week, Jerry? Absolutely, Adam. I love the U.S. Open when the winning score is over par. Um, you know, when par is a good score on a hole, yeah, I like that. Uh, so when somebody does make a birdie, it's like, wow, they really played that well. Uh, like Tommy Fleetwood going out yesterday, who I really like and goes out and shoots 63. I mean, I was really hoping he made that last putt to shoot 62. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Um, and, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm, I'm morally offended by what I saw yesterday, but I think what's happening is is the course setup. The USGA is becoming too much a part of every one of these uh, of the story of the U.S. Open. It happened in 15 at Chambers Bay. It happened in 16 here at Oakmont with the Dustin Johnson incident. And now it happened again where they become, they become the story. And the, and the irony of this whole thing is after this happened in 2004, Adam, you could go back to the golf show, my golf show, not this past Thursday, the Thursday before when Jeff Hall from the United States Golf Association was on with me. And he's one of the people responsible for setting up the Open Championship, helping to set up the golf course. And they talked about, look, we're not going to let this happen again. What happened in 2004? We have superior equipment. We have, uh, we have in-ground moisture detectors. We have in-ground firmness uh, detectors. Uh, you know, our, our weather data is so superior. And they even went so far as uh, to say as our meteorologists are on a whole nother level. Well, guess what? They all missed it. Those meteorologists missed that, those, right. uh, those wind forecasts, you know, the wind forecast, you know, the golf course sits right on Shinnecock Bay. The golf course is known for getting winds. They, they underestimated how frequent they would be. Well, okay, that's fine too. But see, what happens is they set the golf course up with pin locations right on the edges of the green. So when you get wind that dry, not only blows the ball, but dries out the surface, then anything that gets near the pin can, you know, it, can roll away or roll into a hazard or roll off the green. So it's one thing when a good shot maybe isn't totally rewarded. It's another when a good shot is penalized. And and that's what was happening, especially like on hole number 15, hole number 13. That's what happened on hole number 7 in 2004. So the very thing that they said that they were determined more than anything to, to prevent uh, is exactly what happened to them again 14 years later. Exact same thing. So when a guy like Zach Johnson complains about that, do you hold that against him? Against Zach? No. No, he's just speaking his mind. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're frustrated. A lot of players 
you know, Hank Haney tweeted out, he says, USGA ruined another U.S. Open. Now, that might be going a little bit too far, but, um, you know, Hank's one of the most respected teachers in the game. He's Tiger's old, old swing coach. And, but, but, I, 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 but their point is, is that the USGA is becoming too much a part of the story, and that's all anybody wanted to talk about. And, you know, it's a kind of, uh, you know, it's a bit of a shame for Brooks Kepka. Look, I think when all's said and done, uh, you know, they're going to remember that Brooks Kepka won back-to-back U.S. Opens. But believe me, a lot of people, just as they did in two, 14 years later, about 2004, they'll still be talking about what happened, what, what the USGA did again, uh, you know, in 2018. But, you know, the players want to gripe a little bit. Look, I'm not saying, you know, that you should side with them or, or saying they're entirely right, but I, I think that's their – they're not saying it's too tough. There's a difference between being tough and unfair and sure. or unplayable. And I think that's where that's where the USGA pushes the envelope at them. You know, they set the golf course up. As I said, they want to go right to the edge. Well, that leaves little, little margin for error when the weather comes into play. For example, at the British Open – the British Open knows weather can come into play, so they deliberately slow their greens down. You know, I bet you those greens at Shinnecock were probably running at 14, which was how they measured on a stint meter. At the British Open, uh, because they know how the wind can affect both not only the ball but dry out the surfaces, they slow the greens down to about 10 or 11. So, so they're not so fast and slippery coupled with the slopes and the wind and the firmness. So... I, I mean, not too many people. They may go over there and go, wow, it was really tough. The, the weather made it unplayable or something. But for the most part, nobody's ripping the RNA for their course setup because they take all those things into consideration. And and even yesterday, even yesterday on the last day, after all that belly aching Sunday, a Saturday, and the mea culpas from the USGA that, uh, you know, were sorry, they admitted they were wrong, they still had a couple pin positions, you know, closer to the edge than the middle. I know they can't put all the pins in the middle. But they put a couple dicey pins out there again where the same thing could have happened again. And I'm not saying they should have just made it easy and put all the pins in a hollow where the ball funnels to the hole and, you know, they make a ton of birdies. I like, I like difficult course setups. But there are a couple instances like uh, where it got away from them because the very thing, again, they wanted to prevent and said they would monitor it. They did not. Last thing here for you, Jerry. Uh, you mentioned Brooks. He wins two in a row now. Uh, Dustin Johnson, what got away from him, and uh, why was uh, Kepka able to take advantage? Yeah, he just couldn't make any putts. Uh, you know, he missed one on, on, on Saturday at the end of the round that reminded me uh, of the uh, Chambers Bay where Jordan, you know, on the 18th hole where Jordan Spieth beat him. He missed that little putt. You know, he three-putted from like 10 feet at Chambers Bay. Um, and that's what happened. That's what ha- it started to happen late Saturday of that uh, uh, last putt, and then it just continued yesterday. And and then by by the end, he was just kind of what us golfers call just waving at the putts. You know, he you could tell he lost his confidence. And um, I think that was the biggest difference. On Keith Green, he was still pretty good, better than he was on Saturday. Um, but his putting was just it. It, it let him down. And it looked, you know, and it kind of looked like the old Dustin Johnson. Did the pressure get to him? Maybe it did. Whatever it was, he wasn't very efficient uh, putting the ball, that's for sure. Jerry, we love the stuff, man. We got the golf show coming up on Thursday. We'll look forward to that from 7 o'clock until 8.30 at the Rochester Inn. Uh, Appreciate you taking the time today, bud. Adam, you got it, brother. Always good being with you. Thanks for coming on. There he goes, Jerry Dulac of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the golf show. I wanted to have Jerry on because I would imagine that, and I didn't ask him this, but I'd imagine that being a guy that's as tapped into golf as he is, 
to hear some people say, ah, Phil really didn't do anything that wrong is probably a little bit frustrating. Like, the guys within the game that are upset about it, and, and Jerry was very measured there. Jerry said, yeah, I probably think that that could have merited disqualification. I was surprised that Phil would do something like that, but he wasn't saying the guy should get stoned or get put in an electric chair or anything like that. But it's got to be frustrating for, and I'm not going to speak for Jerry, but it's got to be frustrating whenever you know the game inside and out and people who don't are determining whether or not that is something that should be egregious. That being said, I don't think it was egregious. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Because it is out of character. Like if this if he's doing it over and over and over again, he's just a prick, then I think you're gonna say, Okay, enough, dude. Like you're disqualified, you're a jackass. But Phil Mickelson is respected on tour. Phil Mickelson is loved and adored by a bunch of golf fans around this country. He's always been courteous to them, as Jerry Dulac said. So why should one mistake have everyone thumbing their noses at the guy? Why should one mistake have everyone looking down at Phil Mickelson and saying, oh, you're a terrible dude. This is disgraceful. Maybe it's a disgraceful action in the eyes of pure golf fans, but it doesn't necessarily mean the guy is disgraceful. It means he blew up for a moment and... When Jerry says he doesn't know why, I just think it was, and maybe I'm just boiling it down simply, I do think it's just frustration. Uh, I do think it's just, eventually, everyone got fed up with the damn greens. I think everyone just got pissed off. Zach Johnson's going off. DJ can't make a putt. And then Phil hits one that's what? How far away from the hole was that, Tom? Like, six inches, maybe? Yeah. And then it's going to go 15 feet down the hill, and then 15 more feet? And then 15 more feet, then 15 more feet. Like, he was fed up. He was pissed. He was annoyed. I'm not going to hold that against him. Coming up next, it is the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. And we revisit my Twitter poll from today, uh, which is very important. And I'm going to need you to weigh in. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. hearing anything other than me i'm not hearing any of the music am i on the air where the music go tom i think your talk back button's still on i'm back what happened there why was i not hearing anything i don't know but you sounded incredibly professional during it all did i yeah well that's interesting because uh, to me it sounded like i was blaming you for a lot of problems that could have been my own they weren't happening there was no problem it sounded like there's music playing i wasn't hearing any music Oh, music wasn't there. All right, I want to run through all the topics of the day with you, Tom. I need your reaction to all this stuff, okay? We good? Yes. All right, very good. Phil Mickelson, should he be stoned to death, or should he be shocked in an electric chair? I don't know. We still need to think of something that is deserving of the crime that he committed. We don't want him to get off easy. No, a drone strike, certainly not good. That's not enough of a punishment. No. I think... You don't watch Game of Thrones, but they they do this thing, the Boltons do. It's called flaying. I mean, you probably know what that means. They just skin the guy alive and then let him bleed to death. Oh, that sounds awful. It's a punishment that I think fits this crime. For as severe a crime as what Phil Mickelson committed to peel his skin off, even that might not be severe enough. And then after we do that, you said it's called flaying? Is that what it's called? F-L-A-Y, I think. Flaying. We should just have. We should fillet him, and then we should roast him over an open fire. Holy hell! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's what you get for two putting, Mick. 
What do they call what he did? It's not called two putting. Two putting would be one putt, two putt. Double hitting, I suppose. One and a half. I don't know what you'd call it. It looked like he was playing hockey out there. Stone him, maybe. Stoning's not bad. Waterboard him. Waterboard him for a while and then peel his skin off. And then roast him over the fire. Yeah. Man, we could totally have worked at... The USGA? Yeah. No, I was going to say Guantanamo. We had to fit right in. We're creative with our punishment. I mean, Phil Mickelson, what are you doing, man? Peel all his skin off. You know what? Tie him to a horse and have the horse start at a walk and then eventually smack the horses behind and have the horse get dragged out or drag the man out for miles on end until he passes away. And by the man, I mean Phil Mickelson, because that's a punishment deserving of the crime. And every so often have like some of those rumble strips that he has to go over. Oh, yeah. Like every 50 feet, he has to go over a rumble strip. I went to... I went on a road trip with my friends in in Nevada. There's this one place you're going on this stretch of highway, and there's rumble strips. And if you go at exactly 67 miles an hour, it plays a song. I don't think anybody's singing a song for Phil Mickelson after what he did, that rat bastard. Sick freak. All right, now your thoughts on Neil Huntington. There's nothing else to that. Just my thoughts on Neil Huntington. I mean, you've been overall. listening. I, I hope yeah, you've been listening. I mean, to he's show. just a bold-faced liar, and I don't like how he's starting to plant the seeds of starting to blame the fans for them not spending. You, you called this a while ago. I did. They were going to do this, and you, you saw the beginning of it today. But he, he kind of nonchalantly was just like, "Hey, you know what? Maybe if we get a couple more people out to the ballpark, we might start adding to this team." It's like, no, Neil, that's not how this works. You should have added to the team before, and then the people come to the ballpark. Do you want the quote? Yes. If we're able to turn a corner and draw more people out, then we'll be able to put more into the club. I just wouldn't have said it if I were him. If I were him, I just would have let that not be said. People already don't trust the Pirates. It's like the government. Nobody ever wants to trust the government. No matter what the government's doing, there's always this thought, okay, what are they doing behind closed doors? Politicians are slimy. You know who's slimy? Bob Nutting. You know who's slimy? Frank Coonley. You know who's slimy? Neil Huntington. Neil Huntington. I was right there. I was trying to space them out for dramatic effect. I just wouldn't have said it because he has to know how they're perceived in this town. And by being perceived the way that they are perceived, you don't want to further that. You don't want to throw more logs on the fire. All right, what else do I have to run by you? Oh, yeah, here's this one. It's the subject of my unsponsored... Twitter poll at underscore Adam Crowley. Just ate a leftover cheeseburger at 10 a.m. Is that okay? 79% of the listening audience says good move. 21% of the people say gross. Katie's shaking her head saying that I can't eat it. And Tom is... Oh, you definitely eat that burger. Oh, son of a gun. Oh, my gosh. That's a man's move right there. Now, is the problem... Is the problem with... You can translate for Katie. Is the problem because it's a burger that's reheated, or is it because it's at 10 a.m. that I'm eating said burger? It's the 10 a.m. I never buy into that at all. I don't understand why. If Okay, if I like breakfast food, why can't I have it for dinner? Well, that's never a problem. Okay, well, then why can't I have dinner food for breakfast? In college, I would eat Chinese food for breakfast. Cold Chinese food for breakfast is one of my favorite things to do in the morning the night after having Chinese food. Now wait a second. You eat your Chinese food cold the next morning? Yes. 
Okay, now that's messed up. No, it's not. General So is cold. Try it. It is good. It gets all clumpy. Life-changing. Oh, it's delicious. It's like Chinese food ice cream. I I think pizza, cold pizza in the morning is not bad. No, cold pizza is the best. Yeah. I'm, I like, I'll even eat room temperature pizza. Like, if we left it out in a box overnight, we're all passed out haphazardly around the house. I will eat that at 10 a.m. the next morning. It's got, like, a one-day window where that's still yes. cool. Yes. And, in fact, in college, I mean, the window is probably a week long. I don't care how long the pizza was sitting out there. As long as I had not seen creatures crawling on the pizza, I was going to eat it. Well, what's going to happen? The air going to get on it? Fine. Whatever. I was our, those days, God only knows what I was sharing with my friends, women, drugs, cold pizza. You know what? There are, there is a line though. If the pizza is, pardon me, if the burger is from like Wendy's or McDonald's and it's the next day, I can't be eating that. Oh, who's saving? Why would you ever save a burger from Oh, bro. Fast food oh, place? bro. Oh, bro. I had a kid in high school that I was really good friends with. And he would buy six singles from McDonald's and would eat one. And he'd literally throw the other five onto the backseat of his car. And then as he's, he used to drive all the time, whenever he'd be out driving, in the middle of the night, he'd reach in the back seat of his car and he would eat one of those sandwiches. He wouldn't even put it in a fridge. It the, would just be sitting in the back of his car. And you know what? I took a bite once because I had to know. Oh. It tastes exactly the same. Exactly the oh, same. Oh, that's because worse. That's worse. The fat just preserves it. Oh. The fat keeps it. It tastes exactly the same. Exactly the same. And in fact, if it's like a summer day and you put it on the back seat of your car, like if it's today, it would probably taste hot. But it would taste like it just came out. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I'm not condoning that behavior. Ugh. I mean, that is disturbing behavior. I would not condone that. But what I did, I grilled a bunch of burgers yesterday, and thank you to my mother-in-law for bringing them all over. I grilled them all, and I ate them. That was quality meat. I think what rubs people the wrong way is that I had ketchup and mustard and pickle and onion all on there in this morning, along with the burger. But 79 percent of the people are are on my side here. What's where? What's the line that you can't eat something then for breakfast? If we've determined that Chinese food is Chinese food, the line like, are you going to eat pad thai the next day? I don't think so. I don't no, think so either. I don't think that that's going to make it to breakfast. I think oh, because you've already consumed it all. Yes. Oh okay. But like donuts are a thing. That's basically like eating cake for breakfast. It is. It's it's exactly what it's it exactly is. that. It's a, you know. it's a giant ball of bread with. Icing all over it. So sweets, I think, are on are on the table. Like, can you eat? Oh, a, yeah. Can you eat a piece of cake for breakfast? Yes. Okay. I mean, what what is the real difference between that and a donut? Really, I don't think there is. There one. isn't one. No. Okay, then. If you can have sausage for breakfast, can you then eat like a hot sausage? Like, could you? Could would you eat like a brat for breakfast? Ooh. I think I'd still eat a brat, but we're getting closer to that line. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this chicken wings. Like some some buffalo chicken wings. <sighs> I've done that before. For breakfast? I've done that before. That, that might be tough. I've done that before. I've had ribs for breakfast. My mother in law makes really good dry rub ribs and they're just as good cold as they are hot. I'll wake up the next day. In fact, we're going to the beach next week. I'm guessing they're gonna get made one day. At least fingers crossed, knock on one. My God, I hope so. I will be eating that for breakfast the next day. What's the line? 412-922-2874. What will you not eat in the morning? I'll eat I'll eat just about anything, I think. If it's good enough from the night before, like I've had spaghetti for breakfast. 
I've had like gnocchi for breakfast. I've had like rigatoni for breakfast. Any anything in the pasta family, I'll eat for breakfast. Steak, without a doubt. Burrito. I don't think I'd eat much Mexican food early in the morning. You know what I did when I did do that is we got gobbleritos. It, because KDO mentioned the gobblerito was good, so we got gobbleritos one day from Mad Max, and then the next day at about eleven thirty a.m. I think I had one. I mean that's approaching lunchtime. 11 a.m., I think you're good. I think you start to have lunch there. Anything after 11 counts as lunch? I think you're in that brunch range, actually. Okay. So so any lunchtime food is acceptable. Because oh, today it was 10. I mean, like... 10 a.m. is breakfast. It was like, That's breakfast. It was like 9.59, too. Like, I, I, I waited till 10 because I didn't want to be that guy. You don't want to see 9 on the clock and be like, I'm not going to eat this burger right now. I've done this a bunch. A bunch. And you know this is a fact. Based on the way the studio smelled, I've had chili for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yes. Is that over the line? You have, like, weeks where you do that. It's like chili week, where yes. all you eat is chili, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, yeah, I mean, you week. make it in a crock pot. Why would I try to make anything else? What? Okay, here, I think I found it. It's not chili. Because I've done it so much that you've been you've now been culturalized to it. Like, you're fine with chili for breakfast. Tuna sandwich. Tuna sandwich and just fish in general. Can't eat fish, fish for in the morning is and that's no. too much. Although salmon and locks, huh. I'm not a big fan of that though. They have like salmon flavored cream cheese for bagels too. Blech. Blech. Uh. How do you how do you even flavor that? I don't know. I don't think I would eat a tuna sandwich for breakfast. Yeah, I think the line is fish. I think we found yeah. the line, and it's aquatic species. You think so? Yes. Hmm. Things I'm pissed off about. You want to play that game? What pisses me off is when people don't like what I eat for breakfast. Uh, people tell me what to eat and when. When I told my wife that this morning I was going to have around 10 a.m. a burger, she said, we've got those protein bars. You can't have a cup of coffee with that. You can't. You can't eat a burger and drink a cup of coffee. And to that I say, oh, absolutely you can. Let me ask you this question, Tom. Do you like coffee? Yes. Do you like burgers? Yes. Why not eat them together? I rest my case. I don't even need all 30 seconds. Screw all y'all. Damn it! One thing that's really just been pissing me off a lot lately is when the ice melts in my lemonade. I mean, look, it's hot out there. We all know it. And what better way to refresh yourself in the summer heat than a nice cold glass of lemonade. Only problem is, I like to enjoy my lemonade and not chug it right away, so the water tends, to, or the ice tends to melt and water down the lemonade a little bit. Look, if I wanted water with a slice of lemon in it, I would have cut up some freaking lemons and put it in the water and had some lemon water. I want some lemonade! That's- uh, ah! Tom, you're ready to come out so strong on these, and I feel like, I feel like somewhere along the way, that was more of like a 27-second rant there. It, it was, but I think that I can I can almost see in your mind, you're picturing this glass of lemonade. Delicious. And the ice is melting. Terrible. And you've really put yourself in that spot, so you're focusing more on where you were than where you want to be going. It's true. Yeah. It happened to me just this morning, too. You were drinking lemonade this morning? For breakfast. That's disgusting. Coming up next, Mark Caboli of The Athletic. Todd Haley throwing shade at Ben Roethlisberger. <gasps> Say it ain't so. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. What's too gross to eat for breakfast? 
I don't think there's anything but fish. Bill, he joins us now on the Crowley Show. He says fish is okay. He's going to make a case for fish for breakfast. Let's hear it, Bill. Hi, Adam. Hey, uh, it's it, it's got to be fried potatoes and fried fish and some sunny-side-up eggs. That'll work. As long as the fish is fried, you know, some lake, lake uh, perch or bluegill or some fried walleye, you're good. As long as you get that fried in there, a little grease in your stomach in the morning. Even better if you went out and caught it early in the morning. But that's uh, that's a little above my skis. But, yeah. You know what, Bill? It convinced me. I'm down with some fried fr- fish hey, for breakfast. But I, I got one. Okay. Go ahead. No, you go. I just got one more thing. One quick question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Give me, give me your 11 Steelers that are going to be core on the defense. Who's going to be our, our core 11 defense? I'm having a hard time figuring out who that 11th guy is. Well, so, yeah, yeah. Fried fish. Okay. It's gonna, <laughs> thank you, Bill, for the call. We'll, yeah. get, we'll get into yeah, that with yeah. Mark Caboli. I think it's going to be Walleye. I think it's going to be Bluegill. Uh, those will be your two starting inside linebackers. I think they'll be better than Matikavich and Vince Williams. A couple trouts on the edge. Yeah, a couple trouts. <laughs> Joining us now is Mark Caboli from The Athletic. Hello, Mark. How are you? You know what's uh, a really underrated fish that I just found out was the Chilean, Chilean sea bass. It's a real meaty fish. Did you know that? So, oh boy, I can't believe we're going to get on to this. Uh, after having hung out with Craig Wolfley for as many times as I have, uh, he will tell you that the Chilean sea bass is actually not a Chilean sea bass. It is called the Patagonian toothfish, but they named it the Chilean sea bass because it sounds a lot more appetizing than Patagonian toothfish. I believe anything Wolf says when it comes to food, so I, I do agree too. with him. Then, so. well, before we get into the Steelers stuff and the question that Bill asked, because he's running the show now, I do want to know if there's anything that you would not consider eating for breakfast. I had a cheeseburger at 10 a.m. today. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, I think I read somewhere recently that you probably should eat something warm for breakfast because it uh, fills you up more hmm. so you shouldn't probably eat like cold cereal or anything was the hamburger warm the cheeseburger uh it was hot in fact well i think you're following the rules then okay good yes. mark caboli the athletic food expert joining us here on the crowley show uh the question asked by bill was the core 11 for the steelers defense this year but i don't think that the question can be asked quite that simply there's so many moving parts i think the steelers are really going to try to match up as much as possible this year yeah, you might have the starting 13 or 14 or something like that. First of all, when you throw the nickel package in right off the bat, you got 12 starters, you know, right off the bat. It all depends on what you're going to do with uh, some of the defensive linemen. If a guy like Hargrave comes off, depends if they're going to use a hybrid safety, depends if they go dime, depends if they go nickel. I mean, you could start anywhere between, you know, going back to the high school and college days, you could have like 14, 15 lettermen on defense, right? I was going to be depends. I wouldn't be surprised if you look at the end of the season and you see probably you know twelve or thirteen, maybe fourteen guys that have three, four, five hundred snaps or more. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be the case too, uh, Mark. As for Todd Haley's comments about the quarterback room and, and all that nonsense, I mean that to me just is a is a dart thrown towards Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, you blame how, him? Yeah, you blame him. Yeah, right. I mean, seriously, he's the one that had him moved on from. Pittsburgh. So, uh, well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. At, at its worst, how bad do you think it got between those two? 
Mm, you know, the weird thing about that is, is you never, there was nothing ever visible or nothing audible. You never heard really anything. You never heard any rumblings. You never physically heard them to argue and disagreeing other than, you know, the Roethlisberger passive aggressive quote after a game or, uh, you know, a Todd Haley, you know, I think it was, uh, when you, somebody asked him about the quarterback sneak and Ben said, yeah, our quarterback sneak, nobody calls it. And Haley was asking, Haley had this look on his face like Ben said that. Oh, okay, maybe we'll call that now. You know, that's about as far as it went where there was a public disagreement like that because it almost sounded like, you know, Ben said he didn't want to run the quarterback. That's what makes it so interesting. I mean, you really didn't see anything visible. But I don't really think we can just narrow it down and just say it was Haley versus Roethlisberger. I think it's Haley versus a number of people. Oh, wow. And I'm talking about some, you know, assistant coaches that didn't like to work with him and some uh, – players as well so uh i think when it all comes down that's the issue but come on tyrod taylor baker mayfield and i couldn't even tell you who their other quarterback is better drew stanton baby i mean come on come on (laughs) mark joining us here on the crowley show what's to be expected now uh, with the randy feetner offense i mean what's supposed to change i i imagine most things will stay the same but what's your understanding of what will be different this year uh, it's hard to say. I mean, they haven't really haven't done much through the early spring practices of actually changing much of anything. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with play calling. I mean, that's the only thing really different that's going to be between, I mean, drastically different between uh, Haley and Fickner is uh, what do you call on third and one? I mean, what do you call on second and goal with the two? What do you call on fourth and one? I mean, Fickner hasn't done that since 2006. And for the three and nine Memphis Tigers. So I think that's the biggest key. I mean, you have to get into a rhythm, how you're going to script those first 10 plays, um, what you're going to call in goal line situations. I think that's the biggest thing. I don't think you're going to see much difference because you got a bunch of, you know, you got 10 starters back, maybe 11. It depends on how you view Martavis Bryant. I mean, you're not going to switch things up. So I think that's the biggest thing, what they're going to, how he's going to call a game. Do you be sneaking the playbook? I don't think so. Oh! I mean, no, quarterback sneak. I, I don't know. I, I mean, when was last? I mean, Roethlisberger's done it. He hasn't done it since when? I, I looked up that stat, and I can't remember it now. It's, you know, my elder age kicking in on me. It, it was something like 20. I don't know when it was. Whatever. I don't think so. I don't think Roethlisberger wants to do it. Plus, I mean, Steelers used to, under Haley, used those third and shorts, fourth and shorts to take shots. I mean, Half the times it worked. I mean, so it's so easy to circle that and say, okay, look at this. He's not running a quarterback sneak on third and one. But, you know, three out of ten plays, they throw a 70-yard touchdown on third and one or fourth and one. I know Antonio Brown did it a couple of times in the opener a couple of years ago against Washington on third and one, fourth and one. They just went for it. So you got to live with it both ways. A.B., something has to be going on family-wise for him to have missed that many practices. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine so. Or somebody's gotten into his ear and says he doesn't need to get there. Other than that, because, I mean, this is a guy that's never missed a practice or regular season practice I even know of. No vet uh, days off. He maybe missed one OTA for the birth of his son. I mean, and all of a sudden he doesn't show up for seven consecutive and said he needs to get his mind clear. I mean, I w- I'm sure there's some sort of family, but I think, I mean, I used to just, Pure speculation, you know. I think somebody's in his ear just trying to – I think that's why he's saying he needs to get his 
head clear. So I don't know. I, I, like I said, I talked to him the day after. He seemed like the same old Antonio Brown, happy go lucky fooling around. So I'm not quite sure what that was all about. Where you know he went on his little semi tirade and said that we put too much pressure on him. It was weird. Are the Steelers, and I mean the, the players in the locker room, are they mad about Le'Veon Bell not showing up? No, not now. I mean, they know. Uh, where they start to get into an issue would it be if, if he doesn't show up for that first week. You know how you can hold out the first one, what, 10 weeks of the season and still be able to get in a cruise season, be a free agent next year. If he starts getting into the season now, they're starting to mess with their opportunity to win, and that's when you'll start to hear stuff. You're not going to hear anything. I remember training camp last year, you barely even heard his name spoken after like the first day or two. I don't think they really care. They know the situation. But like I said, it, 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 which it doesn't look like they'll probably show up again, you know, week one, sign on that Tuesday or Wednesday and be ready. Um, I don't think they really care. Now, if he skips a week or two, then they start caring and they start chirping. So I don't think that's that big of a deal. I mean, they're used to it by now. I mean, everybody's trying to get their money one way or another, so they know that. So they, they, they tow that fine line of not really ripping somebody because they know maybe one day they'd be in that same situation. Right. Uh, Mark, last couple things for you. Uh, he, of course, from The Athletic, joining us on the Crowley Show. Any talk yet about what the Steelers are going to do to maybe not start as slowly on offense this year? Uh, beginning portion of the season last year, they were very pedestrian, I thought, uh, and then got better as the season moved along. Ben Roethlisberger's numbers did get better, too. So why do you think that was? What can they do to make that not happen this year? I truly believe, once again, purely specula- speculation, that Roethlisberger was injured at some point during the middle of that season where something was bothering him. He wasn't able to step in the throws. Balls were floating on him. He was having interceptions. He was having terrible, what was that, five, six interception games against Jacksonville. I think that had something to do with it. Early on, I just think, uh, I mean, you look, I mean, Le'Veon Bell's numbers were down a yard per carry. I would uh, have to assume that was because of some of the lack of a playing time he had through training camp, which would probably, you know, arise again this year. I don't know. I mean, Mark, I mean, you look at that. If Ben was hurt, and once again, speculation, but something was wrong with him. Anywhere between, you know, week three and week eight, Le'Veon Bell coming off of his suspension, or not suspension, his holdout, and he comes in uh, week one, five days before the season starts. Martavis Bryant misses a whole year, uh, you know, misses two weeks of training camp because he didn't get paperwork in line, and all of a sudden you go up and play a decent Cleveland team and a decent Minnesota team back-to-back, two good defenses, all of a sudden you're saying, you know, you're, you're struggling a little bit. So I, I would tend to believe that that had something to do with it because, I mean, have the talent. So I don't know if there's anything you can do to say, okay, we're going to get off to a better start this year. I mean, right now you have built-in excuse. Randy Fickner's Never called a place in 12 years. I mean, you really have a you have a built-in excuse for that offense to start again slow and let you not going to be around until September. Kaboli, help me get a free trial for the athletic. Uh, I mean, I've been trying, but uh, you know, I'll try again. I guess. I mean, if you order now, you get a free T-shirt. I do. Yeah. Will I get it and before so I go to the beach? Oh, maybe. You have to say. I will forward you the the link. Okay. Yeah, but please. Not, do. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, hook a brother up. Uh, I don't need to read you. I just need to read Yoey. 
Okay, that's cool. <laughs> hey, I appreciate I mean, it. Hey, hey it, all, it all goes in the same place. I don't care. That's true. Hey, thanks for the time, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. All right. All right. All right. No, I mean, I had one, and then we're trying to save money because we got 15 different weddings to go to this summer. And, yeah, it's only $4 a month. But now, Yoey, I see talk to Rutherford, and he's talking about trades, and the headline for Yoey is, it's inevitable that the Penguins make a trade, and now I just need to read why. I need to read more. I- I'm-, I'm sucked in. We're going to have Yoey on the show tomorrow. Maybe we do that. I'm going to see if Yoey's going to come on the show. I'll text him right now. We'll make that happen. Also got this tweet uh, during the segment with Mark Caballi, and again, appreciation sent his way for coming on the program. Uh, James tweets at underscore Adam Crowley, Mexican in the morning's okay. I sell breakfast burrito papas and chorizo all day. Shrimp and grits for breakfast. You are correct about sea bass, too. I totally forgot about breakfast burritos. I love breakfast burritos. I was going to bring up breakfast burrito, but obviously you weren't talking about breakfast burrito. True. You were talking, although... Is it in the same family, though? Well, it's if, a burrito. If chorizo's in there, chorizo, chorizo's so good. Yeah, oh, my right. God. Chorizo. Spicy sausage, just oh delicious. Oh, my God, so good. That was uncomfortable. I think I need to smoke a cigarette now. Coming up next. Is Phil Mickelson the worst person on the planet? Or is it Neil Huntington? It's the Crowley Show.